The, the reading um, today is from John chapter 16, starting at verse 5, verse 5 to 15. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Lord God, as always, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's so freely available to us. Thank you that your spirit can show us new things from even from passages that we might have read over and over again. You can still reveal something new. We pray for Martin now as he comes to speak. We pray that your spirit will fall on him, on the words that he brings to us, and may your spirit also fall on us as we hear and respond to what you're saying. Amen. Thanks, uh, thanks, Alison. Um, we're in a series where we're looking at the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I want to look at knowing Jesus uh, by the Spirit. Um, just want to say something about uh, sin, because Jesus speaks about sin in this passage. Um, sin is not a word that's used much these days. It might come up in a crossword clue occasionally. But generally, people don't talk about sin um, outside of the church. Um, back in 1973, um, the world-renowned psychiatrist Carl Menninger wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. So this is not a new conversation. 73, how long ago is that? 50 years, 48 years or whatever. It's a long, it seems a long time ago. Even, even I was a small boy then, so it's going back a bit. But even, even back there, it, the question was being asked, whatever became a sin? Um, psychology was the new thing, and the language of sin was being abandoned. And in his book, this doctor, who by the way was not a Christian, predicted that the word sin would drop out of common usage in the British vernacular. And he said that back in 73, he said the word sin would be replaced by words like illness, disorder, dysfunction, syndrome, etc. A um, bit of a prophet, you might say, a uh, bit of a non-Christian prophet. 
what he's predicted has proved to become true today. What's interesting is though, is that although the language of sin is no longer used, its effects are still felt widely. Um, there is a rising sense of guilt in our world, a sense that things are not as they should be, uh, not just with young people, by the way. Um, people recognize that despite scientific and technological advance, you know, loss of species, environmental damage, people trafficking, poverty, uh, refugees, violence, war, injustice, only seems to be getting worse. Um, there was a narrative a few decades ago that said, with scientific and technological advance would come a much more just and peaceful and better world. Well, that just simply hasn't happened, has it? It's getting worse out there, um, unless I've missed something obvious. And not only that, our culture, our society has lost its moral compass. The Christian faith is no longer uh, the center of our culture, offering people meaning, purpose, and a compass for living well. No wonder there's been a proliferation of mental health problems in our culture. There simply is no moral compass anymore out there. And even though the word, the, the word sin is no longer used, um, uh, commentators are talking about a rising increase in guilt in our world. And people have nowhere to place that guilt. And people are becoming angry. Um, exchanges on social media are becoming more and more angry and divisive, aren't they? Because people have got nowhere to put their guilt. Um, they know that the world is not getting better, that despite our progress, that it's, things are just not working out well. And people have got nowhere to go to deal with their guilt and sense of failure. And I think this is where the gospel and the church have got good news to bring. Um, we have the answer to a world that is not going so well. It's called Jesus. But how do we understand sin? Because you can't really understand this passage. You can't understand what Jesus is talking about in terms of conviction of sin and righteousness until you understand what do we mean by sin? Well, let's keep it simple. God created human beings to be in a relationship with him. That's what the book of Genesis is all about, isn't it? Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the garden. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? There was an intimacy. There was an identity. These were people who were secure and knowing God as their creator and father. They enjoyed life, all the beauty of the garden. They were told to look after creation and rule over it on God's behalf as kind of stewards of God's creation. They were not the kings. God was the king, the ruler, but they were to be his delegated authority to rule over the earth on his behalf. But we know, of course, that they chose to rebel. They chose to dethrone God and they wanted self-rule. Um, today we call it the selfie, don't we? Um, the selfie, by the way, is the biggest um, symbol of our culture, isn't it? Everybody wants a selfie, um, whether it's Glastonbury or up a mountain or with their food that they're eating in a restaurant. 
everybody wants to take a selfie. And it tells us that <laughs> our culture has become more and more self-centered. It's all about us and what we're up to. Um, and this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to live for themselves rather than live under God's loving rule and reign. And so they pushed God out of the way and said, look, we'll take it from here, thank you. And as a result of that, they were excluded from the garden, alienated, separated from God. And so every human being ever since Adam and Eve lives for themselves, hence the selfie. We live for ourselves, what we want to do, we live independently of God. And so do we see a world where many people who are choosing to live independently of God are fulfilled and happy and contented? Uh, unless I'm missing something, I don't see that world, particularly amongst young people. I see a world where people are insecure, anxious, fearful, despondent, lacking in meaning and purpose and lacking in identity. And I see a world where there's lots of uh, ladies. Um, what was her name, Sam? What was her name? There's lots of Suzettes out there who are lost and looking for meaning and purpose and identity. Sorry, I woke you up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> There are lots of Suzettes in our world. There are Suzettes in our workplaces, in our neighbors. They're looking for meaning, purpose, identity, something more than this world offers. They're lost. They're broken. They lack a center to their lives. Adam and Eve were at home in the garden. They had meaning, purpose, and intimacy with God. That's what human beings were created for, by the way to know God, love him and enjoy and delight in God. And when we're not at home with God, we don't feel at home in the world. This is the language that really speaks to, uh, Sam lent me a book on Generation Y and Z. By the way, I'm Generation X, in case you're wondering. My parents were what they call boomers. So I guess my in-laws are also boomers, right? generation ahead of in front of me but i'm generation x which means i was born somewhere towards the the mid to late 60s and generation y and generation y is the millennials generation z are the ones who grew up with the iphone basically the ones who've never known what it's like not to have an iphone and be on the internet and on social media i'm not one of them in case you've noticed but this language of uh, coming home really speaks to the millennials and Generation Z. They get it. Um, they don't get language about sin, but they do understand that they don't feel at home in the world. Something's not right. Something doesn't feel secure about the world. It's like someone's likened it to standing on liquid lava. Living today as a young person in the world is like trying to stand on an on a inflatable, on water. You, people feel insecure, they, they're wobbly. They, there's no firm place to stand because we've lost our meaning, our purpose as a culture, and people feel they're not at home. They feel insecure. 
They feel lost. So when we're talking to people in our culture, this language of coming home is really powerful, particularly to the younger generations. The disciples faced this insecurity and fear because they didn't feel at home suddenly because Jesus had said, look, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. And he needed to leave them behind so that the Holy Spirit could come. Um, Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once because he had a limited physical body. But he needed to go away back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come, who's another Jesus living in people, living in believers. But the disciples felt insecure and not at home because Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. And he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the counselor. And this is what he said in verse 7. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The name of counsellor means the one who comes alongside, the comforter. It's a lovely picture, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is God's comforter. And that's, that's really good news. In a world that is insecure and fearful, where anxiety and depression are rapidly increasing, to hear that there is a God who comforts us and gives us meaning and purpose, that's good news. And the, and the disciples needed to hear this good news. Jesus was going away, and yet he wasn't leaving them on their own. He was sending his Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit is like the breath of Jesus in us. It's like Jesus living in us. When someone becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in them. And the Holy Spirit tells that person that God loves you and that you are a child of God and you have a, a sense of coming home. Um, I don't know if you, how long some of you have been a Christian, but I remember at a boys' brigade camp, going forward at the age of 17, at, on a Friday night at the end of the week, and I had a peace in me that I'd never experienced before when I came home and received Jesus into my life. Anybody else experience this? Yeah, one or two? It, it's like coming home. It's like, this is what I was made for for a relationship, a friendship with God. And now I have it. And I had a peace, a meaning, a purpose, an identity. I knew who I was. I'm an adopted son of God. I'm a child of God. It's wonderful. Christians also need this comforting ministry of the Spirit. We, there was a word from Jen earlier, thank you, Jen, from Galatians, about whatever your problem is, it's, there's nothing too big or too small. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, wants to come alongside you and comfort you this morning. Maybe that's a word for someone. God's perfect love casts out all fear. Right? So if you're anxious, God's love is here in the Holy Spirit. He wants to come and cast out that anxiety and fear in you. Um, Christians need the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit too. Not everyone on our front lines is warm or open to the good news about Jesus. Um, some are. Some are quite happy to talk about Jesus. But people on, our, on the school gate, 
in our university, in our family, wherever we bump into non-Christians on our front lines, we need, we need the Holy Spirit to give us confidence and a sense of peace, particularly when we meet apathy or indifference or people are hostile. We need the Holy Spirit in us to give us that confidence to talk anyway, <laughs> to share anyway, whether it's a good reaction or an indifferent or an apathetic reaction. Um, I'm quite a passionate person when it comes to my faith. So I'd rather have hostility than apathy in a strange kind of way. I like, I, the one thing that I don't like so much is when people just don't care. I, I struggle with that. I want somebody to be passionately arguing with me rather than I oh, just don't care. That, that I, bugs me more. I, love, I like people who are passionate, who really believe things. And I like to have a good debate as well in a spirit of love with people. But you see, the Holy Spirit comes and he gives us a deep sense of love and compassion um, to share the good news. So if you found the good news of Jesus in your life, you want to share it because it's good news. We have good news to give to the world, a world that lacks meaning and purpose, a world that doesn't feel at home. We have good news that says you can come home. You can know what it feels to be contented, to know God as your father, your creator, and as your personal friend. That's good news, isn't it? We have great news to give away. Um, the, the, the spirit that was given to the apostles, the disciples, is the same one that's given to us today. Um, verse 13 to 14, this is what Jesus said to his apostles. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he made, made known to you. Um, Peter, John, James, and so on, wrote the right-hand side of this book, the New Testament, right? And uh, they wrote it because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allowed them to read the Old Testament, the bit on the left-hand side, and to interpret it through the lens of Jesus, and to write down in letters and gospels all of the truth that the Holy Spirit gave them about God that had already been revealed in the Old Testament. And we have this book, the Bible, as a testimony of the work of the Spirit of Truth who guided the apostles into all truth. But you know, it's not just for the apostles, it's also for us. When you sit down with the Bible every day, which I hope you do, to pray and read it, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is there to help you understand and apply this word to your life. A piece of research has recently been done that shows the greatest tool for Christians growing as disciples is reading the Bible and applying it to everyday life for themselves. Praying through the Bible and applying it through the power of the Holy Spirit to their own lives. Asking the Holy Spirit to help them understand it and to work out what, how do I need to live today in my family, on the school run, at university, um, workplace, wherever. That is the greatest, this is the greatest tool for growth as Christians. The Holy Spirit revealing 
God's gospel in our lives every day by reading the word. So some of you need to get reading this on a daily basis. But how do people uh, come to faith today? They won't come to faith by you and me arguing them into the kingdom. They'll come to faith through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Verse eight, this is what Jesus says. When he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, so we need to pray for people who are not yet Christians, that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction, would come alongside and help them to see their need of forgiveness and that Jesus is the answer to righteousness and judgment. Um, what, about, um, what about sin, first of all? How does that work? Verse 9. First, the Holy Spirit brings conviction about sin because people do not believe in me. Um, people out there, as I've said, don't like talking about sin and guilt, all right? We like to think of ourselves as basically good and we're okay, thank you. Don't need God, don't need to be forgiven. But Jesus would say, when the Holy Spirit brings a conviction of truth in us, and we are drawn to believe in Jesus, we realize that Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin. Because none of us love God as we should. None of us serve God as we should. And Jesus went to the cross in order to bring forgiveness so that we can come home. And when someone truly believes in Jesus, they realize that there's a gap, a separation between them and God. And so there's a conviction of sin. There's a conviction that they are not at home. And the cross is the way to come home. It's as if Jesus opens his arms in the symbol of the cross and invites us to come home to God. He invites us. These arms are outstretched on the cross, arms of love that welcome us home. Uh, second, the Holy Spirit brings conviction about righteousness. Many people today believe that they are basically good. Um, if you talk to people, they'll say, well, I'm not as bad as that person over there. We have this discussion on Alpha where people say, well, yeah, um, there is evil in the world. I don't think I've ever come across anybody on an Alpha course who said there isn't evil. Everybody acknowledges that the world is is troubled and that there's evil. The problem comes when you say that everybody falls short of the glory of God. And people will say, well, I'm not as bad as that person over there, that dictator or that evil person. I'm, I'm a lot better than them. Absolutely right and true. But the Bible, you see, defines sin in relation to God and not our own standards. Um, you know, God is perfect morally perfect, perfect in love, perfect in justice, perfect in truth. And we all are outside of the garden. We're all born east of Eden, as John Steinbeck put it in his novel. We're not at home. We don't love God naturally. We don't serve him. We don't submit to him as king. We are born into the world living independently of him. And that's what the Bible calls sin. So we are all sinners because none of us love God as we should. And we all need forgiveness through the cross. And so the Holy Spirit brings conviction that we all need 
the righteousness of Jesus. The only way that we can be truly righteous is if we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Um, all of our righteous deeds, all of our good works for charity, the good deeds that we do are, according to the Bible, filthy rags in the sight of God. They don't measure up. But when we accept that Christ died for us to pay for our sin, we are clothed in pure robes of righteousness. It's as if the dirty robes are taken off and Jesus gives us a righteous robe to wear. We are clothed in his righteousness. I'm going to skip to uh, verse 11, um, Jasper, if that's all right. And third, the Holy Spirit um, brings conviction about judgment. Um, again, judgment is not a popular doctrine today. Um, a popular doctrine today is forgiveness and love. You won't find anybody who will argue that God shouldn't be loving and forgiving. But judgment is a problem. Um, again, we see this on Alpha. As soon as you start talking about a God who judges us and holds us to account, then people are less comfortable, right? It's just the way the world is. And yet, I believe this is inconsistent. Um, we are always judging one another in the world. And we're always wanting to see justice done, aren't we? Rightly, um, people are outraged at the behavior of politicians recent, recently, aren't they? Rightly so, because there is something inbuilt in us as human beings that craves justice, um, a sense of right. Um, we get outraged, rightly, for victims of sex trafficking, about disaster relief, about racism, about disease, about injustice, about poverty. There is a sense of morality in us as human beings. I want to say, where does this come from? Some of you may have read this book. Um, it's a book uh, by an American neuroscientist called um, uh, When Breath Becomes Air. Anybody read that one? Yeah, one or two. It was in Waterstones a few years ago. I recommend it. It's a great book. Basically, this American neurosurgeon called Paul Kalanithi was a staunch atheist, and then he got serious lung cancer. And he found himself on the other side of needing to receive treatment and care and love. He had lived his life up until this point with rationality and science as his guiding principle. In other words, everything in the world can be explained through rationality and science. The problem was when he was lying in the hospital bed, needing serious treatment for his, uh, he got to stage four meta, meta, metastatic lung cancer, and he started to write down his story of his own struggle with rationality and science. He saw the love and care of his family, of the nurses, of the doctors, which he'd never really experienced before because he'd never needed it. He was always the one giving the care. And suddenly he realized and started asking the question, well, if love and justice really exist, and, and they do because I'm receiving them every day now, where did they come from? And he found that he couldn't explain these things based on science and rationality alone. They, they just weren't good enough to explain this. And he came to faith while he was dying of cancer, and he wrote this autobiography called When Breath Becomes Air, which I 
recommend that you read. Incredible book. He came to see that God is the ultimate source of love and of justice. And it's God who holds us accountable. There is no explanation other than there is a God who is moral and, and loves justice and truth for the way that our world works. And he came to see Jesus. And the Holy Spirit works like that in people, like Paul Kalanithi, to bring them to conviction, verse 11, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, the prince of this world, Satan, wants to keep people blind to the truth, that there is a God who holds us accountable and who judges the world. There is a day of judgment coming when Jesus returns, when we'll all have to stand before God and give an account, have we loved God? Have we followed God through our lives? Have we submitted to him, served him? We will be held accountable because he's a God of justice. And what Satan does is he wants to keep people blind to that truth. But Satan has already been judged. He's been condemned to, uh, by God for eternity. But the good news is this. If you turn to Jesus today and accept that God's judgment fell on him, not you, on the cross, so that you could be forgiven, you won't be condemned by God. You will be, de you will be declared not guilty. You will be declared righteous. And on the day of judgment, God will say to you, come and inherit eternity with me. That's the good news. If people will turn to Jesus, they won't be judged and separated from God for eternity. They will enter into heaven and they will inherit the master's kingdom for eternity. I think that's good news. I think we've got great news to offer people. Are you convinced? Do you think it's good news? <laughs> good. You see, we have a world out there that doesn't feel at home. Okay? Just look at the paper, read the statistics. People are not feeling at home. We were made to be at home with God. Why don't we start inviting people to come home? That's the language that people get today. They know they're not at home. We can only come home when we know Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one that can bring conviction about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's the one who can convict people in your family, in your workplace, your neighbors. He can open their eyes and bring a conviction that they're not at home. Do we believe that? We need to pray for people to have that conviction. Maybe you're one of those people today. Maybe, you know, you're not, you've, you're in church today, but you've not yet submitted to Jesus. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, why don't you invite Jesus into your heart today? Why don't you come home today and know meaning, purpose, contentment, joy, and an identity as a son of God today? Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for any who are here today who, who don't yet have that sense of having come home. Lord, I pray that you would help them to come home. Lord, I pray, Spirit of God, that you bring that conviction in them to see Jesus, 
to see the welcome of his outstretched arms on the cross, welcoming them home. Lord, help us to be people who pray for those who don't yet know you, that they would be brought to that place where they want to come home and know you. Comforter, counsellor, would you fill us? Would you draw alongside us as we seek to make Jesus known? Would you go with us and fill us and embolden us to be good news in what we say and what we do on our front lines with our friends, neighbours, work colleagues, family members? Help us to share the love and welcome of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.